Welcome to the Untold Podcast, capturing the culture's imagination through speculative fiction. I'm your host, Nathan James Norman. Well, we're in for a treat for the month of July. Two stories by Carol McDonald. One now, the other in a couple weeks. Carol McDonald holds a BA in literature from the State University of New York at Purchase and is a writer of Christian, supernatural, and ethnic stories. Her writings appear in various Christian, speculative fiction, and ethnic anthologies. McDonald is a Jamaican-American writer of Christian, speculative fiction, and multicultural stories. She is the author of The Constant Tower, My Life as an Onion, and Wind Follower, which was nominated for the Clive Staple Award for Christian Speculative Fiction. Her Bible studies include Seeds of Bible Study, Blogging the Psalms, and Great Sufferers of the Bible. She lives in New York's Hudson Valley with her husband, two sons, and their pets. You can find her online at www.darkparables.blogspot.com and carolmcdonald.blogspot.com. Go to the show notes for all the links. I'll be honest, I feel an affinity for Carol McDonald. I also hold a BA from a SUNY, that's State University of New York, English program. And I called the Hudson Valley home for 24 years of my life and visit it whenever I can. But this affinity has nothing to do with what I'm about to say. In my humble but correct opinion, Carol McDonald's voice is among the most important voices in speculative fiction. Her stories are transcendent and painful and tragic and beautiful. I'm honored to feature her stories on the podcast. This episode's story is narrated by Stephen Mosley. Original music is performed by newcomer to the Untold Podcast team, Carrie Kelso, a happily married father of three, a worship leader and guitar player who lives in North Alabama. His work has appeared on the No Sleep Podcast, and we're looking forward to him contributing from time to time. Today's story originally appeared in the short story anthology Spirit Fruit by Carol McDonald, available through Amazon, Kindle, and Audible.com. So now, without further ado, the Untold Podcast is proud to present The Gleaners by Carol McDonald. One fall evening, as the yellow sun lowered in the red sky, three ghosts, their hair matted with algae and seaweed, swam upward from the waves. From the farthest depths of the sea they had come. Two hundred years had passed since the day Ardu the fisherman murdered them and threw their bodies out of his tattered boat. And these ghosts, who had lived among the sea dead, could no longer suppress the memories that made them so discontent. Because of their long sojourn in the sea, they were now green-skinned and green-eyed. Instead of the brown skin and black eyes, the Lord of all life had given them while they were alive. In spite of their deaths, they were like living children in many ways and prone to getting into trouble. Elkanah, the oldest, was known among all the sea villages for his trickery. 
It was even rumored that he had visited the land of the living without permission to haunt and disturb the cruel and unkind. Nuru often invaded the sleep of the living with frightening dreams. When alive, he had been a joker. Death hadn't changed that. Varlu was the saddest and angriest of them. He had never grown content with being exiled to the sea far away from those who had been fortunate enough to die on land. He missed his mother, who had been long dead and had gone to that good place where those who died on land went. Often he would think of Ordu, the fisherman, the one who had murdered him and separated him from his mother and from the living. Nothing could quench the inner fire of anger that continually burned within his spirit's soul. The boys had not asked the seven great lords for permission to visit the land of the living. The seven lords were the Lord of the living and the dead, the Lord of all living, the Lord of the dead, the Lord of the land living, the Lord of the land dead, the Lord of the living things in the sea, and the Lord of the sea dead. One would have thought that with so many rulers, these children would have thought twice about their journey. But they pined for the land of the living, with its couscous and peanuts, its goat meat and coconuts. They remembered the outskirts of villages, the shashara rhythm of the women weaving on their shuttles, the fresh air blowing about them. So they wafted on top of the waves, allowing the green sea algae to float through their spirit bodies. As they journeyed toward the land, Verlu said to his companions, Brothers, we are almost there. What should stop us from taking the next step and going on land? Day follows day with no change or joy. We are the worst of the dead, doubly exiled, for we live among the sea dead and far from the green earth. I myself have neither loving mother nor father with me. I have decided that come what may, I will stay in the land of the living and never return to the sea again. If I am lucky enough to find one of Urdu's descendants, I will haunt his nights with endless grief. Elkanah said, Vailu, when you speak of never returning, you terrify me. When you speak of haunting Urdu's descendants, you terrify me more. Will you roam the earth a solitary spirit? You know how powerful human priests are. If a spirit causes trouble, they will exercise them and cast them into outer darkness. You will be even more solitary and troubled than you are now. Therefore, fellow shade, leave Urdu's descendants alone. At time's end, all will be made right and we will be reunited with those we love. For the Lord of all life, living and dead, is faithful. They turned to Nuru and waited to hear his opinion. Velu, he said, I have visited the land and its living. The world is full of evil still. Although those in the villages of the sea dead are not truly our family, they care for us and will worry if we do not return. Even so, Verlu answered, I am heartsick with this watery life. Do you not remember the air during festival time? The air is now redolent with peanut soup and the aroma of sausages sweet and spicy hanging from the rafters of many huts. Tonight is a good night to glean the fields of the living. He looked up at the setting sun, where it has come to me that tomorrow will be the great harvest festivals. The hearts of the villagers should be merry, and they will be too busy with their joyous preparations 
to notice us as we wander their fields or roads. We can safely delight in the brown and green earth and glean their harvest. And if we meet any who are descendants from our due, we might make sport of him. A ship had sunk the day before. With sudden violence, the passengers were swiftly transferred to the kingdom of the Sea Dead. The prince of the Sea Dead had much to attend to. None in the villages would miss them. So they decided to venture ahead. They recounted the rules. They should travel on the outskirts of the fields and not go near the human churches. And they should not touch human brew. No, they did not want to bring calamity on themselves or encounter some over-eager priest who would send them to the world of demons or into outer darkness instead of the land of the sea dead where they rightly belonged. Now Nauru had carried a flute with him, something to make their journey through the land of the living merry. Such flutes, you must know, are pleasant enough to those who died at sea, but dangerous if touched to living lips. As they set their spirit feet on brown earth, he opened his little spirit bag and placed his found trinkets inside the bag beside the flute. The spirit children stood on the shore and watched the sun set. They remembered their childhood centuries ago when they played among the fishermen's boats. They had been from different villages, but Urdu the fishermen, now long dead, had tricked them and carried them to slave traders. But when the slave traders refused to take such small youths because the journey across the great sea would kill them, Urdu had stained the green water with their red blood. That evil man did not wish the boys to tell the villagers of his evil. Elkanah and Nauru managed to put these old memories behind them as they journeyed through the vineyards and grain fields. But Varlu's anger grew hotter and hotter as he ventured more and more into the living world. In the centuries since they had died, great towering buildings blocked the moon. People wore strange clothes and worked late into the night using strange lights. Oh, how things had changed since their last visit. Oh, how things had not changed. Villagers still lived in huts, wore the old-style clothing, and worked at the age-old jobs. They decided to visit the old towns of their childhood, first town, second town, and third town. When they arrived at First Town, which had been Nauru's home, they saw that the harvest had indeed been good. Grapevines drooped to the ground. Apples covered the countryside. Nauru plucked the grapes and corn grains as he traveled. Then they traveled past the savannas and prairies to see how Second Town and Third Town fared. Since they saw no living soul on the roads between the villages, Nauru removed his flute and played it. But when they approached the second town and people were once again to be seen, he put the flute away. Here, too, the people were preparing a harvest dance. But the people of second town had just enough food, not too much and not too little. Their feast meals were not so abundant, and although they were celebrating, they did not waste their food. Grapes and oranges did not lie rotting on the ground as they did in first town. Instead, the people of Second Town loaded up carts of oxen to bring their excess to the people of Third Town. Elkanah, Nauru, and Varlu followed the ox carts of goods to Third Town. They did not follow too closely because they knew some living folk could see spirits. At last they arrived at Third Town, where the cries and moans of starved children met them 
and the little bodies racked and twisted with disease, skin only, over protruding bones. The provision from Second Town was not enough to feed such hungry mouths, but what could be done? The people of Second Town had so little they had given all they could. Nuru thought back on the town square at First Town, where grapes, corn, and wheat lay withering on the ground and no one cared to glean them. Why, this could break even a spirit's heart, he said. How can the people of First Town allow this? Perhaps they do not know. I had forgotten that humans could starve. The age-old hatred, Verlou shouted, and anger made his skin a deeper shade of green. Do you not remember how cruelly the people in Third Town treated the people of First Town many years ago? They rightly deserve this poverty. But Elkanah said, Should hatred last forever? Come, brothers, let us help these people. But Nuru warned, The great rule states that the dead must not speak directly to living unless absolutely necessary, and not unless the prince have given their permission first. And if he gives us permission to speak to them, we must speak in symbols and cryptics, and we must not interfere with human life by plainly telling the living what they must do. And Varlou added, Brothers, if matters were the other way, the people in Third Town would not be so kind to those in First Town either. But Elkanah was determined to help and convince the others. In order to avoid breaking the great rule, Elkanah, ever tricky, said, We will get the living ones to help. That way, we will not be helping these people at all. And there is no rule about asking questions, is there? How tricky are you? Verlou said. Do you find loopholes in every law? Elkanah shrugged his spirit shoulders. Let the living humans can figure out what we are saying. And so they set to work. The three friends returned quickly to First Town. They crept into the painter's shop and stole, for spirits are magnificent thieves, such equipment that they could carry. Soon, with paint and brush, they had written a question on the barns of all the First Town farmers concerning the people of the Third Town. I will not tell you what the question was. It does not matter to us now. But I will say that as they worked, it happened that the chief of the first town was walking home and saw something written on a miller's barn that upset him greatly. He was so angry that he raced to the miller's door and banged hard on it with his bare fist. As he knocked, he glanced all about him and noticed that all the barns asked the same question. The barns of the religious and the non-religious. The barns of the sojourner and the native. The barns of the childless and the fertile. Even the tanner's barn asked the same question. The chief well knew that the tanner and the miller were not friends. They could not have planned this together. As he pondered, he saw a moving brush, as if welded by an invisible hand, painting the dreaded message on the barn of the dressmaker. The chief was an intelligent man. He knew what he was up against. Spirits were notorious for helping the poor. Had they not helped the poor shoemaker several years ago? Surely they were behind this hidden question. But the chief was not a man to be challenged by spirits. He did not wait for the miller, a notorious sleepyhead, to come to the door. Immediately, he raced in the direction of the night watchman. 
and the question seemed to follow fast behind him, appearing on the barns behind him as he ran. Soon enough, he met the night watchman. Fellow, he said, have you noticed what is happening in my town? Good night to you, chief, the watchman said. I see you are walking about, doing my job. This is no time to joke, the chief replied. On my way to the harvest fields to see what I could see, for you know the festival dance is tomorrow. What did I see? He pointed to the barns. The night watchman looked in the direction that the chief indicated, and his mouth dropped open. And who do you think has done it? The chief asked. Strangers, new to town. It is spirit work, the chief shouted. This is very like them, for they have nothing better to do than to come to our living towns and meddle with matters that do not concern them. But we will best them yet. Lazy, indolent folk are cursed with disease and famine, but our own hands worked hard. The good earth has rewarded us, and now these spirits blame us for not helping those lazy louts. An affront, the night watchman said. I will not be challenged by spirits, the chief shouted, and neither will my people. Therefore, get whitewashed and remove this question from the barns in our entire village. When the villagers awake, they won't be any wiser. True, they will see the whitewash, but the question will be gone, and their peace of mind will not be disturbed. The night watchman pondered this for a while. Then he peered down the long length of the road. Let let the chief be angry with such a mere worm as I, he began. I will understand that the peace of mind of our village is important, even if children in other villages cry without food. But the task you are asking of me is very great. The night is far gone. I am only one man, and from what I can see and know the chief is not a man who does a lot of manual labor, it would be impossible for one man alone to whitewash the entire question. If I actually manage to do the work you are asking me to do, perhaps the spirits will harm me. Perhaps we should allow the town folk to read what is written. Then tomorrow at the festival you may speak and challenge the devilish question. The chief shook his head. No, the thought must not enter the heads of my people. The night watchman shrugged. I know well how hard it is to change a chief's mind. The chief grunted, but did not reply in words. All the time they spoke, Verlu stood beside them, listening as they hatched their plans. The chief looked familiar, he thought, but he could not place the face. The chief wrapped his scarf around his shoulders and said, I have it now. Remove the foul word only. You know what word that is. That will be enough. If you need help, wake tomorrow, the death mute. He cannot speak of the matter, and neither can he write. True, the night watchman said. The boy is pitiful, and none here care for him but I. The chief shrugged. What you must do, do quickly, and you will find three gold coins and one copper one in your coffer tomorrow. Give the copper coin to Tamaru, and that will suffice him. The night watchman set to work, waking Tamaru from the dirty shed in which the boy slept. Come now, Tamaru, he said, speaking exaggeratedly with his lips so the youth could understand the task before him, and making signs with his hand. Have I not taken care of you since you have arrived here from Fourth Town so many years ago in search of work? Tamaru nodded, and the night watchman continued. There is a job to do which no one must know about, not by words or by speaking of your hands. He explained the matter, and soon Tamaru set to work. By morning, all that remained on the sides of the red and yellow barns were the words, Are You? Followed by a large, whitewashed, empty space. 
Together the spirits watched as young Death Tamaru and the watchmen whitewashed their questions from the barns. Varlu shook his head. It is as it always was, no kindness in the world at all. He looked up at the sun rising in the sky. We must return to the world of the sea dead before we are missed. I no longer wish to remain among the living. And so they began to race back to the sea dead village. But Nauru raced so quickly, he did not see that his flute fell from his pouch as he ran. I've lost my flute, he said, and the spirits turned backward toward First Town to look for it. Meanwhile, the yellow sun rose high in the white sky. The people of First Town woke and stepped out of their houses. They saw their barns and the half-assed question, Are you? Well, soon enough, one housewife ran to another, and one husband ran to another, to discuss who might have spent the night doing the deed. Soon the whole town fell to worries and disagreements. The half-complete question disturbed the people more than the full question might have. All manner of adjective and adverb, all manner of vice and virtue, all manner of illness and complaint, were supposed to be the missing word. The morose could not help but believe that the question referred to the state of their soul. The sickly thought it referred to their death. The wealthy assumed one word. The not-so-wealthy assumed another. But no one hit upon the word the spirits had used. And even if the word were mentioned, there would be no agreement that that was indeed the missing word. And never once did the chief or the night watchman tell them the truth of the matter. Soon enough, the joys of the festival day made the town forget their self-questionings. Soon, night began falling again, and the village turned from working to thoughts of reverie. The young girls put on their ribbons and bows, the boys their ties and hats. All began to make merry. Nuru then saw a certain young man carrying his flute to one of the musicians, the piper in the band. The eyes of the flutist glistened in amazement at the sight of the flute, for the thing was well made and beautifully worked, with wondrous ornamental carvings of gold and silver, and immediately thanked the young man for finding his flute. In turn, the young man begged a tune. When the flutist set his lips to play, out came a piercing well, only one note. Immediately, all but one of the living in the entire town fell asleep. The one who did not fall asleep was Tamaru, who had never heard a sound all the days of his life. But across the town, everyone else had fallen asleep where they stood, falling beside the pig trough, across the fields, against houses and wood barns, and some were draped over rocks and tables in the most unseemly positions. The little deaf fellow hardly knew what to make of all he saw. But so affrighted was he at the sight before him that he stood staring all about him in amazement. Now, the very second the people of First Town fell asleep, the prince of all the living and the dead lifted his head. His spirit ears were keen indeed. He turned to his steward and said to her, You hear the sound of spirit pipe on living lips. That I do, she said. But how could that be? Of late... None of the earth or sea dead has ventured into the living lands. None that we know of, the prince answered, raising his spirit eyebrow. 
So the question went round and down in the court of the prince of all living and downward through the ranks. Soon enough, the steward came to the prince of the sea dead, the prince of the living and the prince of all the dead, which to speak to you about Elkanon, Nuru, and Varlu, she said. There is quite an uproar between them because the humans of First Town have fallen asleep on their feet. Meanwhile, Elkanah, Nauru, and Varlu were wondering what to do with all the people who had fallen asleep on their feet. The snores of the villagers were almost deafening. The seven lords will never forgive us for this, Elkanah said. I thought we were quite careful, actually. One can never be too careful, Nauru said, picking up the flute. Then Varlu became aware that a human was quite awake and staring at them in the distance. Living one, he called when he noticed Tamaru. For although the deaf cannot hear living voice, they can hear the voices of spirits and sprite well enough. Why do you think we will harm you? I will tell you that Tamaru looked quite surprised to see the spirits, their green skin and green eyes in waterlogged brown loincloths. But his eyes grew even wider when they spoke to his mind. I am amazed, his thoughts answered theirs. That people, dead or alive, seem interested in talking to me. I like you spirits well, Nauru said, and he had to speak in this way because it is forbidden for dead spirits to speak directly to the living. Is it possible that some living human played our flute? All that while Nauru spoke, Varlu stared at the living boy and thought about his mother. The boy looked so like his mother. He was wondering if this were one of her descendants. What is wrong with me? He kept asking himself. Everyone I see seems familiar. Tamaru pointed around at the barns and a thought framed in his mind. Were you the ones who put the question on the barns? Will one of our pipes lead people where they will not go? Varlu said cryptically. And will another toot on the flute awake them? And will we not be mightily punished when the princes hear of this situation? Tamaru looked at them strangely, even more strangely than before. But after he understood spirit speech, he said, You certainly have made a mess of things, haven't you? Elkanon answered, It seems to me that since we have already gotten into more trouble than we know how to get out of, and since food must be carried to the poor children of Third Town, we might as well finish our first plan. In for a penny, in for a pound, I always say. And this is true. He often did. Oh, how sleeping people of First Town sang and danced to the magic pipe while they filled their oxen and cart with provision for the citizens of Third Town. All day they traveled back and forth along the savannas while Varlu played the crystal flute, while the maypole of First Town lay empty with his green and red ribbons hanging solemnly and unused. The sleepers lifted and carted, and never once did they complain of the hard work. As for the spirits, although they did not have human stomachs, they ate their fill of the earth fruits and complained wistfully about their inability to drink of the old brew. Tomorrow, too, enjoyed the day. For never had he had such lovely and kind companions who understood his every word. Tomorrow carried with him a brew of corn and honey 
and drank his fill. And as the spirit spoke of world of the sea dead and all its wonders and how the rules and the forbidden matters such as never touching human brew, Tamaru said to the spirits, I want to live with you in the world of the sea dead. The people here in First Town have never treated me well. How lonely I have been here without true friends. Elkanon shook his spirit head. True friends you will get in time. Does not a flower bloom where it is planted? Nauru asked, but Varlu disagreed. No true friends on earth you'll find. May I hold your flute, Varlu? Tamaru asked. Varlu raised his eyebrow and said, Hold it, but do not let your lips touch it, or else some other harm will come to these sleeping people. And no, you will not go to the world of the sea dead with us. You haven't died in the sea, have you? Tamaru took the flute from Farlu and examined it carefully. The sun was setting and the sleeping farmers and town merchants had all danced merrily back to first town and all gone to their respective beds. As the spirits walked, Tamaru sighed to himself. Now, I have heard it said that spirits can read human minds. If this were true, would they not have detected Tamaru's plans? When the group prepared to leave, Tamaru asked Varlu to play him a song even if he could not hear it. Varlu blew the flute, but at the moment his lips touched the flute, Varlu felt a change within himself. He shrugged off his discomfort, but foreboding rose in his heart. Soon he noticed that his friends seemed not to hear him. They seemed not to see him. When he tried to enter the sea, it would not claim him. At last he understood that human brew had touched his lips, and he was now forced to wander between worlds, alone and friendless. Soon Elkanan and Naru realized that their friend was lost to them. It's one trouble after another, Naru said, looking around for Varlu, but being unable to see him. But the prince might be able to save our friend. Straight away they raced quickly through reef and sea mountains to the palace of the prince of the sea dead with his dead bones and coral. The prince shook his head when he saw them. They were so distressed over their friend's disappearance, he didn't have the heart to rebuke them harshly. This I have no power over. The laws are not under my control. They asked permission to go to the prince of all the dead. They received it, but there also their intercessions could not prevail. The prince of all the living could not help them either. Poor Varlu was lost. Meanwhile, Varlu's anger raged. The angry words he shouted at Tamaru, I will not say, but if he could have grabbed Tamaru by the neck and choked him, he would have done so. Although he could not hear Varlu's words, Tamaru had seen Elkanah's and Naru's fears, and he now realized what he had done. Although he could neither hear nor see Varlu, Tamaru spoke. My friend, perhaps there is a way out of this. Perhaps a priest can save you. They have spells from the Lord of all life, living and dead. Those spells are greater than any human brew. Follow me. Varlu realized the risk he was taking, but what else could he do? Surely the worst thing to do would be to put his fate in the hands of a human exorcist who might send him to the land of demons instead of the land of the sea dead. But there seemed no other way home for lost spirits. And while he pondered, the people of First Town woke. 
how their feet ate. And when they walked outside to the grandstand, they saw that their excess provisions were nowhere to be seen, for either human or spirit had stolen them. The chief stood up. I know the works of the spirits. If we look with keen eyes, we will find our food has been taken and given to the poor in one of the surrounding towns. For that is the way these spirits do, taking away what is rightly ours, what our hands have blessed us with, and who is to say they are finished with us. Let us therefore call the priest and let him exercise the town that we might be free from these meddling spirits. So at the same time, the villagers journeyed to the priest's hut. Tamaru and Varlu journeyed there also, but the way was longer for humans, and the spirit reached the priest's house before the feet of the living dead. He presented himself visible to the old man who not being one to fling himself into the harvest revelings and being protected from the power of the pipe had just awakened from a long night's sleep. When the old priest saw the spirit standing there, staring at him, he scratched his bald head and wondered aloud why a demonic spirit would choose to wear such old-fashioned clothing. Be you demon or lost human soul? He asked, You cannot be angel or heaven-dwelling spirit, for the sorrow on your face betrays your exile from that glorious place. Then he spoke some words from his holy book. I adjure you by the Lord of all living that you speak directly and clearly to me. Lost human am I, Varlu answered. I died at sea a hundred years ago when Urdu the fisherman took three children on his boat. The priest raised his eyebrow. He knew well the story of Ardu the fisherman. So why have you come to the living now? The priest asked. You have waited a long time. I come from the land of the sea dead to see what I could see. I carried a flute to play with. Then I lost the flute and a human blew on it. Then tomorrow put human brew on it and captured my soul here. I am not free to go back to the land of spirits. The old priest shuffled across his hut and glanced at Tamaru. Are you so lonely, Tamaru? He asked. My lad, promise none of your tricks and you can stay here as my son. As he said this, what did he hear but the villagers' footsteps? They rushed into the hut on aching feet and although Ferlu stood among them, they saw him not. It was the chief who began. Old and revered father, he said, come see what evil spirits have done. They have taken our food to who knows where and have left us nothing but pain and harm. Our feet and arms ache as if from heavy work, and yet we have all slept. The old priest turned to Varlu, but it seemed to the villagers that he spoke only to the air. Why have you lied to me, spirit? Varlu protested. I have not lied. But you have, the old man retorted. You did not mention your thievery and your enchantment of these good people. It is my opinion, then, that you are an evil demon and no human spirit, and you have come to do us evil. Verlu stood trembling before the old priest, dreading those awful words which could toss him into the land of demons. But the priest was a wise man and quite kind-hearted. He didn't want to cast anyone into outer darkness. Chief, he said, are you not descended from one or do the fisherman who sold slaves to the far continent? When Varlu heard this, how angry he became. 
The chief nodded. But what has that got to do with anything? Many of us here have ancestors who sold their brothers to traders from faraway places. The priest advanced carefully. True. Our ancestors are guilty of many crimes. But the spirit who has approached me is none other than Valu, who was murdered by your ancestor Urdu. Lies! Lies! shouted the chief. My ancestor Urdu was no murderer. The old priest shook his head. He said to Varlu, I have no intention of sending you to dwell with demons. He then said a long complicated prayer, which I do not quite remember, so you will not hear it. And soon enough, who should come and lay prostrate before the prince of the sea dead, sorrowing and begging mercy for their crime? So it is you, Varlu. The prince of the dead asked when Varlu appeared before him. Why do you travel to places where you should not and cause problems for everyone? Varlu was too surprised to suddenly find himself at the foot of the prince of the sea dead to say anything. He glanced at Nuru and Elkanah, who both looked terribly guilty as they too awaited their punishment. The prince continued, Why do you not accept your home, Varlu? Others have accepted their early deaths. Cease longing for your mother and the life of the living. The prince called the other two spirits forward. Life among the living is unpredictable. Sometimes good deeds are rewarded with bad ones. Do you understand this? I do, my lord. Elkanon answered. I do, my lord. Nauru answered. Such matters as the starving of living children are no concern of ours. Sad though it is. Now, tell me what must I do to punish you for your crimes? The last time he was punished... Elkanon had had to clean the sea floor for three years. He had not liked it. He spoke up. Truly, my prince, you are kind and powerful to overlook our crimes against our laws. Please forgive us. We have learned our lesson. The prince answered. It is in my power to forgive and change what I can, but not all. The lord of the lost dead is equally forgiving. But all your trespasses I cannot forgive. Forgiveness can only be given by the Lord of all life, living, dead, lost, and undead. And that great Lord is a hard taskmaster. Let me speak to the Lord of all life then, Varlu asked. Let him tell me what I need to do, and I will do it. At that, the Lord of all life appeared. Varlu, he asked. I have seen your sadness. What will you do to see your mother again? I will do anything, great prince over all. Will you forgive this man? The Lord then showed him Erdu the fisherman in the land of the evil dead. Flames of fire encircled the old murderer. Wells of pain echoed from his mouth. Oh, how that man suffered. Varlu had never heard or seen such suffering. Varlu could only cry out and weep and close his eyes. How could he forgive this horrible man, who was just as evil and greedy as his murderous ancestor? And yet, how he missed his mother, and how he longed for life of the glorious dead, who eat coconuts and pineapples and honey every day. He thought of his mother, and he remembered the kindness of the old priest, who had had mercy upon him. Yes, he said, I will forgive him. And as he said those words, the flames around the old murderer ceased, and Urdu ascended toward the joyous place.
the Lord of all life took Verlu's hand. And what a day you've had, Verlu, he said. Verlu nodded. A bad day indeed. And will you come with me? The Lord of all life asked. Is it true? Verlu asked. Am I going to see the face of my dear mother? The Lord of all life nodded. Verlu could only smile in amazement. Does a human priest have so much power? He asked. Even over the Lord of all life? No, the prince answered. But human forgiveness does. And that was our story. I hope you liked it. Be sure to check out Spirit Fruit by Carol McDonald for more great speculative fiction stories. Before we go, remember that... This podcast is part of the Christian Geek Central Network at ChristianGeekCentral.com Until next time, I'm Nathan James Norman reminding you, forgiveness can only be given by the Lord of all life, living, dead, lost, and undead. And that great Lord is a hard taskmaster. So